Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Our longtime listeners are well prepared for an inflationary cycle. In the past six or more months, we've cited substantial evidence of emerging high inflation, which has been ignored for the most part by the marketplace. We all know the Federal Reserve continues to deny structural and long-lasting inflation in their quest to keep investors on board for a low interest rate environment and bond market stability. In my view, all the efforts to camouflage and deny future inflation are near an end. Why should you care? I'll mention these reasons. First of all, high inflation produces high interest rates. Renters saving for a house should prepare for higher down payments and higher monthly payments. Pretty shortly, actually. Businesses will experience higher borrowing rates, and importantly, the federal government will face higher interest expense, as the federal deficits will increase not only by the operating deficits, but by these higher interest rate amounts. And that spells the need, or at least the momentum, for more tax increases. And that's at all government levels. That's what we are seeing now, and we can expect this for the long term, in my view. Secondly, today's inflation relates to supply chain shortages from agricultural commodities. We've mentioned this a number of months ago. Food products, and now chicken, shrinkflation. Almost all raw materials have substantially increased in price, but I want to spend a few minutes to talk about shrinkflation. I'm going to put a link in the podcast so you can see that yourself, but I'll just give you some examples of what I mean by shrinkflation. For example, Kikoban soy sauce is 33% smaller in this past year, but the price is the same. Jason's Deli's has a prepackaged half pickle instead of a full pickle. Pizza pies, particularly Elio's Pizza, if you know them at all, the pizza pies price stay the same, but the pizza pies are getting smaller. At Scott's Earth Row Mulch, they've reduced the size of their bags by 25%, but the price is the same as it was for the larger amount. If you go to Target, the bowls they sell are getting thinner and thinner, and if you have a kitchen scale, you can check that out. They weigh less and less. Clorox? They have the exact same amount packaged, but their new packaging says 65% more. So that's not really shrinkflation so much as it is creative advertising. Doritos? Actually, Doritos used to be nine and three quarter ounces for one of their size, and now they are down to nine and a quarter, but it's still $4.29. I don't know if you drink Leucozide. Leucozide. I don't, but a 900 milliliter amount used to be one liter, and the price is the same. So this goes kind of on and on. Chips Ahoy, the cookies kept the packaging and the price the same, but they reduced the cookie weight from 300 grams to 258 grams. Ziploc, they used to have 38 to 38 bags per container. Same size, same price, now it's 34. So these amounts are not insignificant and they are measured in the 10 to 20% area. 
So that's what shrinkflation is. And once again, I'm putting the references for that so you can see it on the SoundCloud account where we have the description. I'm using a reference uh, on Reddit. I'm not a regular Reddit fan, I guess, but uh, they are tracking shrinkflation. And even Warren Buffett announced in the annual meeting of Berkshire Hathaway that Berkshire Hathaway is raising many prices as supply chain shortages and raw material prices are heading up in a big way. In the last few podcasts, we've mentioned this. We've given you many examples. In addition, interest rates going up, home prices are headed significantly higher as new homes are built. Lumber prices are double what they were a year ago. Copper is up 30% or so. Steel is up 10. Nickel price increases are substantially increasing the construction costs. So the first-time home buyer is facing a most unfriendly environment over the next year and longer. Additionally, when interest rates do march up with inflation going up, a long-term threat basically is added to all financial markets. As the stock market, as the bond market realizes that, or I should say as the top thousand investors, the private equity funds, sovereign wealth funds, family offices, mutual funds, as they begin to allocate, reallocate major categories of assets, these changes can be abrupt and they can be called black swan events. They can be described by the press as coming out of nowhere. Investors can be caught flat-footed. So that's why we keep talking about these subjects. We want you to consider a lot of the underlying economic trends. We're not telling you what to do, and you don't need to do what we would do if we told you in any event. But considering what's really going on in the economics that underlie our economy, it's pretty important. And this is not covered very well. I'm sure you've noticed it's not covered very well in the news cycle. It's not dramatic enough to cover it gradually. And maybe there are reasons not to cover it at all, but I'll leave that to others to figure that out. I would mention to you that the money center banks are starting to sound the inflation alarm. And what we try to do is stay ahead. And we did that a year ago. We talked about interest rates turning, and they did We talked about commodity prices heading up substantially, and they have. So we try to identify trends before they're obvious. I particularly watch carefully the representatives who are maybe the leading edge of the major investors, the thousand or so globally. And I'll mention one today. J.C. Morgan's head analyst, his name is Marco Kolanovic, is expecting an imminent rotation out of growth stocks into value stocks. And over the past couple of months, he has been consistently predicting a major move higher in commodity prices, commodity-related company stocks, and also reflation-linked stocks. In other words, higher inflation as a benefit to certain companies and certain industries. So let's fast forward to today, when in his latest attempt to time the biggest market rotation of all, Kolonovic published a note titled Positioning for Inflation, in which he predicts, quote, a rotation toward reflation, inflation, rising yields, and reopening themes. And not only that, but apparently the coming inflation surge will be such a surprise to most of today's portfolio managers that they will scramble to reposition their portfolios. Since the beginning of our podcasts approximately one and a half years ago, our focus has remained on the thousand or so global investors that control many trillions of dollars of capital. 
they move from investments to investments. And as I mentioned before, the U.S. financial markets have four or five trillion dollars of market value changing hands every single day. So a lot of this capital is controlled by these largest investors and investment groups. And these groups include family offices. Those are estimated to control about $4 trillion of assets. Private equity, another $4 trillion. And sovereign wealth funds, more than $4 trillion. Bond funds like PIMCO, well, PIMCO itself controls over $1 trillion of bonds. And the top mutual fund management groups. Their leading advisors include J.P. Morgan, which I'm quoting today, BlackRock. And BlackRock is probably the largest investment operation in the world. Arguably, they control over $20 trillion of assets. I'm not sure exactly if that's right, but it's in that ballpark. And Goldman Sachs. And we add to that the 20-plus primary dealers in U.S. government bonds. These are the global money center banks that buy and sell almost all of the new U.S. Treasury debt obligations that are issued. And U.S. Treasuries outstanding are getting close to $30 trillion right now. So here's the focus on today, the J.P. Morgan source. Quote, the risk of more persistent inflation, and that is entirely different than the Federal Reserve discussing transitory inflation. Kalanovic recognizes the markets were spooked over 10 years or so ago after the Fed bailed out the banks during the 08-09 Great Recession. After that, inflation hedging was a big theme in 2010. At the time, the Fed's quantitative easing increased its balance sheet above $2 trillion. We're almost $8 trillion now. Many investors thought it would inevitably lead to inflation. And at the time, there was a rush to buy commodities, gold, and other inflation hedges. However, the Great Recession recovery itself was weak, and new crises kept on emerging. The European sovereign debt crisis, emerging market crisis, China crisis, global trade war, global manufacturing recession, and now global pandemic. As no inflation materialized officially, in the official statistics anyway, inflation hedgers threw in the towel and investors piled on to even more deflationary themes like secular growth, low volatility, environmental, sustainable, and government-leading companies. Driven by deflationary trends, bonds nearly doubled in this period, and the S&P 500 quadrupled since 2010, while commodity indices significantly declined. Today, since 2010, the Fed's balance sheet nearly quadrupled to $7.8 trillion, and outside the United States, central banks instituted negative interest rates. I'm going into a little bit more detail than I should. I'll kind of cut it short. (laughs) But recently, fiscal measures ranging from infrastructure to direct payments have injected trillions of dollars into the U.S. economy just in the past year or so. Actually, just this year, since January, new U.S. administration proposals total $6 trillion of new stimulus. So now we're at a major turning point. Kalanovic thinks this. I think this for what it's worth. And if this is correct, we are ahead of the game. We are ahead of the markets. So we'll see. We'll see how the next month or two or three play out. With the end of the pandemic this year, global growth, bond yields, and inflation are making a sharp turn. At the same time, easy monetary and physical policies will likely persist for a while. In addition, there are various temporary frictions related to supply chains, reopening, and political and business decisions that may compound inflation. On financial asset allocation, we expect the market to be late in recognizing this inflection point. 
which we believe is already happening since actually November of last year. Kalanovic is calling for a major change in the marketplace after over a decade of only deflationary or long-duration trades working. Many of today's investment managers, which he says is a polite name for the 30-year-old money managers who were still in college when Lehman Brothers blew up, quote, have never experienced a rise in yields, commodities, value stocks, or inflation in any meaningful way. So as a significant allocation shift took place in the past decade towards growth and low volatility investments, these investments have negative correlations to inflation, and we are now at an inflection point where these investments are going to be inferior, and the investments that have high correlations to inflation are going to be where he's recommending we be. In summary, Klonovic warns, quote, most portfolios are now vulnerable to a potential inflation shock. Of course, the big question always is, is whether this trend will be brief. Will it be a one-time shock or a generational cataclysm? And as we've discussed, as inflation soars, the big debate today is how long this trend will persist. As a result, the question that matters most to Kalanovic is, will asset managers make a significant change in allocation to express an increased probability of a more persistent inflation? This J.P. Morgan leading analyst is confident, as he has been for much of the past two years, that, quote, this shift in allocation will happen regardless of how temporary inflation is, and new data points related to inflation cause investors to shorten duration, in other words, shorten the term of their investment horizon and also shorten the term of calculating the present value of their investments move from low volatility to value investments, and increase allocations to direct inflation hedges such as commodities, unquote. He expects this trend to persist during the reopening of global economies throughout the second half of this year. Given the still high unemployment and a decade of inflation undershoot, central banks will likely tolerate higher inflation and see it as temporary. Portfolio managers likely will not take chances and will reposition portfolios. However, where things get messy is, quote, the interplay of low market liquidity at an inflection point and the sheer size of financial assets that are being rotated, which according to Klonovic, may cause outsized impacts on inflationary and reflationary themes over the next year. To underscore the point, he shows the U.S. CPI and the S&P GSCI Commodity Index and the S&P 500 Energy Index over the past 15 years, and he notes they all closely track each other. But the question is whether after a decade of declines in the inflation-related, whether inflation will rise above its spike in 2008. The manufacturing PMI input and output price indices already have matched their 2008 spike. In fact, the last time these indices were this high, oil was double what it is now in the mid-100s. So what do we expect portfolios to do if Kalanovic is right, and how do investors reposition their portfolios for the risk of more persistent inflation? Here is his answer. Number one, reallocate from bonds to commodities. Commodity indices, such as the S&P GSCI, are, in his view, the most direct inflation hedge. 
Commodities are also cheap in a historical context. They are the only major asset classes that declined in absolute terms over the past decade. So they're cheap. Since 2010, as mentioned before, the S&P 500 stock index quadrupled, but the S&P GSCI index declined almost 40%. Secondly, within equities, investors should buy value stocks and sell low volatility style. If you want to know more about what value stocks are, you can Google that. You can Google value stocks definition, value stocks examples, and so forth. Growth in equity, it should be recognized, have a negative correlation to inflation over past business cycles. I'll say that again. Growth stocks and quality High-quality growth stocks have a negative correlation to inflation. Investors should be cognizant by embracing the environmentally sustainable governance-focused companies. They, by doing that, introduce additional short inflation exposure into their portfolios via long tech. The technology companies are more in that category. Energy companies are not, so moving to high-focused ESG companies bias the portfolio in a way that he absolutely does not recommend. While Kolonovic's expectations may be spot on, he remains overall positive on equities, and that seems to be a little bit of a conflict, but also it could be timing. During periods of high inflation, certain stock groups can be viewed as inflation hedges. For example, mining companies, agricultural companies, companies that are in the agricultural food chain. When there's a scramble away from growth stocks, and we have to remember just five stocks account for 25% of the Standard & Poor's market capitalization. That's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google. They account for 25% of the total value of the Standard & Poor's market cap. Remember that, but additionally, the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 could have a uh, reasonable chance of imploding. And that would happen, in his view, even if the commodity sector were to surge, because the commodity sector is one of the lowest weighted representations of the S&P 500 right now. If commodity-related companies went up very substantially and the leading high-tech ESG names went down, that would have a very much outsized effect on the Standard & Poor's 500 going down. If and when Apple, Amazon, and Google tumble 10 to 20% and the indications of market volatility explode higher, the question is, do you really think systematic investors, the large investors, will continue to be okay and even increase their risk exposure? To me, that's very doubtful. So that's another argument that once the markets go past the inflection point, the momentum could pick up very dramatically. In other words, a lot of people could be selling very quickly. We've seen that many times before. Predicting the date that'll happen is almost impossible. Positioning a portfolio for that potential is quite possible. Someone in Kolonovic's institutional stature does have a goal. He does have a bias. We talked about biases last week. He has a bias to talk about a bullish posture because of all the clients and all the money that is invested on his prior recommendations. And that's even when his core thesis is one that is inherently bearish on the overall market. However, when one reads between the lines of his latest report, if he's indeed finally right in timing the great reflation rotation, Our advice would be, indeed, to go long commodities and hard assets, but otherwise, as they say on TV, get out of Dodge. After all, additionally, it is May, and the old adage is, sell in May and go away. I leave you these thoughts. Be cautious. 
and look forward to our next podcast. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.